today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Peter calls the believers pilgrims. As a believer, you and I, we're on foreign land right now. This is not our home. We are on foreign land. And the concept of that, unfortunately, is not very clear to most believers. And yet, back in the Old Testament, the psalmist declared in Psalm 84, verse 5, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, O God, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. The idea, again, of not grabbing too firm here, but realizing there's a greater land that awaits us. In today's message, Pastor David begins a new and dynamic series in the book of 1 Peter. From the very first words in this powerful epistle, we learn that Christians live as pilgrims in a strange, foreign, and oftentimes hostile land. For the believer in Jesus Christ, heaven is our home. We sojourn here on earth for a short time to make an impact for the kingdom of God and do the work that has been prepared for us to do. Even more exciting, God's Spirit empowers us and makes us into the likeness of God's Son. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, First Peter Intro, Pilgrims in Progress, Our Sanctification, from the book of First Peter. John was born in a Christian home, but his father's first wife had passed away shortly after they were married, and the woman now married to John gave birth to, or not now married to John's dad, gave birth to John and several of his siblings. But by the time that John was 16, his mother died, and about a month later after that, uh, a sister died also. His father now remarried. Now it's the third time that he's remarried. And he did that within the same year of John's mom passing away. But he probably did that because he desperately needed assistance in raising the seven children that he already had. And then with his third wife, they had an eighth. Well, shortly after his stepmom arrived on the scene, John left home. And still at the age of 16, he joined the army. His army career was really nothing spectacular, nothing out of the ordinary, except for one incident that happened. As they were on the battlefield, it was John's turn to go out and and hold guard duty, and one of the other soldiers traded off with him, asked him if he could take his duty for exchange of something else. And so another soldier went and took John's place on guard duty, and that night, that other soldier lost his life while serving as a sentry. And The reality is that John would have lost his life had he been there. But again, by the providence of God, different things happened. According to his later admissions, he'd been a fairly wild character in his earlier days, even as a youth. And even though he was raised in a Christian home, he became a man who pretty much lived a morally bankrupt life. 
This was demonstrated by the fact that often he would go during his army days with his army buddies and they'd spend a lot of time in bars and with prostitutes. From what he understood about religion and what he had heard about the Bible, he had already committed the unpardonable sin, so he simply abandoned whatever restraint that would have been placed on him at an early age, and he just lived his life as wild as could be. He became known, even by his friends, to be a man who was an adept linguist as far as profanity was concerned. Even those that spoke with the same kind of foulness that he spoke remarked that he was the ungodliest fellow for swearing that they had ever heard. And yet, even at the same time, the Holy Spirit wasn't done with him. The Spirit continued to draw John to the presence of Almighty God until one particular Sunday afternoon while he and his buddies were at a sporting event He heard a voice, and he swore that that voice was right behind him. It was so clear and so direct coming to him. And the voice says, are you willing to forsake your sin and go to heaven? Or will you continue to grab hold of your sin and continue on your pathway to hell? That day was a turning day in John's life. It was the beginning of his journey back to Christ. He became overwhelmed with his guilt. He became overwhelmed with self-doubt. And he knew that the Bible had spoke very clearly about the judgment of Almighty God, but he also knew that the Bible spoke about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, through a long process of events that we won't go into this morning, John actually continued to grow in his faith and in the knowledge of Christ and of the Word of God. And there was a pastor that uh, got involved in his life and began to mentor him. And a few years later, after John had come back to the Lord and really began to grow, this pastor mentor friend of his passed away. And John had the opportunity actually to lead some of the services at their church for a while. He began to preach the Word until the church actually called another minister to come and take the place of the pastor who had died. But John didn't stop preaching. It's just that his location changed. He began preaching on the streets. He began preaching in small home groups. And he did that until an occasion came that actually John had to go to prison for a few years. It was during that time while John was imprisoned in England for the preaching of the gospel in the streets and for proclaiming the gospel and teaching the word of God in home groups in the late 1600s, that John wrote that great Christian allegory, the pilgrim's progress from this world to that which is to come. Over 100,000 pages in both volumes of it. John Bunyan's book, his shortened title is familiar to most Christians, The Pilgrim's Progress. It became not only a classic, but it's regarded as one of the most significant works of religious English literature to ever be written. It's been translated into more than 200 languages, and it has never gone out of print. And it's used by missionaries and evangelists today even as they go to disciple new believers in the faith. The Pilgrim's Progress is a great one for them to read and to understand the allegory of our walk in Christ. 
Today, I'd, I'd like to start actually a, a new series. We've finished Jude, and this morning, the series I want to begin, I've, I've titled Pilgrims in Process, Our Sanctification. And it'll be for us a study in the book of First Peter, and I invite you to turn there if you would. First Peter. And of course, the name is a, a spinoff of the Pilgrim's Progress, but that's because I see all throughout these five chapters of First Peter, this whole idea, this thought of, of, of our growth, the progress, the process of what we ought to be as believers. Overall, it's a book that challenges the pilgrim to grow in commitment, to grow in obedience to the Lord Jesus, and how we need to be conducting ourselves in this foreign land that we live in. And also, Peter gives warnings to the pilgrim, too, in the midst of the journey. So I want to take by way of introduction this morning, we're not going to expound a whole lot on the scripture this morning, but I want to give you a a good overview. But to begin even that overview, I want to read the first few verses here, and I ask that you'd follow along with me. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to whom? The pilgrims. He says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are, these are areas and, and countries all around that uh, southern European area, out away from the, the, the Middle East, again, as the gospel began to spread. Now, many people say, well, uh, because Peter was the apostle to the Jews, that this is written to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. But others have looked at this and said, no, there's there's nothing really Jewish about what he's writing here, and really and truly his writing at this point in time seems to be for the whole body of believers, Jew and Gentile alike. But he writes to them, to the pilgrims of that dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, you are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Remember when we started the book of Jude, Jude has a very similar kind of a greeting where he said, grace and peace be multiplied. And we talked about the fact that, hey, it's good to get stuff added to us, but how much we would much rather have it multiplied to us. And I love it when, again, the writers put that grace and peace multiplied to you. He goes on in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, these three verses, three, four, and five, when we get to these, uh, I don't know how long we're going to take on these, but there is a lot in those three verses. That is a powerful declaration to us as believers. It's something that we need to really and truly grasp hold of and, and really glean from, and we'll spend time as we go through this book. 
In verse 6, he goes on, in this you greatly rejoice. Well, in what? In, in the fact that we have this mercy, in the fact that we have this inheritance, in the fact that we are kept by the power of God. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a great and glorious declaration that is. And uh, I, I read that, and each time that I read it, I think, man, what, what, how uplifting that is. I know you're going through trials right now, but listen, get your eyes, get your mind, get your heart focused on the reality of all that waits before you. That's, in essence, what Peter is saying here. There's two major things that I want you to see as we go through these passages, as, as we go through these five chapters, okay? The first one is this. Peter calls the believers pilgrims. As a believer, you and I, we're on foreign land right now. This is not our home. We are on foreign land. And the concept of that, unfortunately, is not very clear to most believers. And yet, Back in the Old Testament, the psalmist declared in Psalm 84, verse 5, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, O God, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. The idea, again, of not grabbing too firm here, but realizing there's a greater land that awaits us. There's a greater blessing that awaits us. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, he speaks pretty clearly, he speaks very honorably about those who had lived their lives and died during that journey of faith that they had. He speaks of those Old Testament saints who, while having obtained a good testimony through faith, all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and they were assured of them, they embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The very word pilgrim describes how we need to be feeling, how we need to act, how we need to respond in this word. Pilgrim comes from a Greek word, parapodemos. Parapodemos is translated directly as just simply a, a foreign resident. Uh, it's what we would say in this country as, as a, a resident alien, this isn't your country, but you're here, you're living, you're working for the time being. And really the meaning of it is like that old song used to be. This whole world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And oh, that we would have that concept in our mind. Paul holds that same thought throughout the book, and, and it shades, I believe, the meaning of, of every chapter, of every verse, of all that he's writing. Again, this idea of pilgrimage. We are pilgrims on a journey, and it gives us that idea of not being at home in this place, of the need for us to be on the move or continually in process. 
And it speaks of that process in our life that is so desperately needed in order to bring the desired progress in our Christian life. Beloved, we need to be in process. You know, a a Christian cannot be in neutral. You you kick it over into neutral, and guess what? You're going to start going backwards real quick. If you're not growing in your faith, if you're not seeking the Lord in a regular way and, again, desiring his leading in your life, I guarantee you, because the push of the enemy is so hard against believers, you will not remain neutral. You will not remain just where you're at. You will begin to be pushed backwards. Why? Because the enemy so greatly desires for you to be that way. And the only way to keep from being that way is to continue forward. The second thing that I see in this book is that Paul always uses these words of action for the pilgrims. Words of action. And my my apologies to any of you who are English majors. Let me see. Anybody in here an English major or minor? Okay, I got one or two. Well, my my apologies to you, and and even greater apologies to my son-in-law, who actually, uh, he he has his doctorate in linguistics, and he serves as a linguistic professor at Middle Tennessee State University. I look at 1 Peter, I look at the entirety of 1 Peter, all five chapters, as a verb, okay? I just see it as a verb, and you know what a verb is. It's something that, that, that connotates action. Or, or being, it's, it's reality. There's, it, it's, it's not just a thing. It is something that is moving. But better yet, it possibly would be what's called a, a verb phrase, for those of you that know that. Uh, a verb phrase, again, is a, is a compound structure containing at least one verb and the dependence upon that verb. So there's, the verb is action, and everything else is dependent upon that action. Well, you need to know this isn't English 101, okay? So bear with me here. But I, I see these kinds of things as I read Peter, and he speaks all throughout these five chapters of the need in our lives to be active in our Christian walk and in our faith. Christianity cannot be sedentary. Beloved, you weren't called into the kingdom to sit. Now, we rest in Christ. I understand that fully and completely. We rest in Christ. But in that rest, there needs to be process. There needs to be progress. Follow along with me, and we're, we're just going to look at some verses here, and I'm going to try not to, well, I won't necessarily try not to, but I'm not going to expound on all of them, okay? But there's some that I want you to look as we go really through the whole book. I'm just going to touch on uh, some single verses as we go along to give us kind of the overview of what Peter is declaring to us. Even in chapter 1, in verse 14, He says, gird up your loins. Man, what does that mean? That means get ready for action. Get get prepared to to do something. In that same verse, he says to be sober. Now, that doesn't mean to not be drunk, though that's a good thing not to be. You don't want to be drunk. But the understanding is, is have a clear mind, have a clear understanding. Consider what's going on around you. Be sober. In that same verse, he says, now rest your hope. What does he say to rest our hope in? 
He says that we are to rest our hope, again, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But in that rest, we don't remain seated. In verse 15, we're called to be holy. And some might say, well, pastor, I don't really need to be holy, do I? Didn't Jesus die for my sins? Isn't my sins forgiven in him that I don't really need to be holy? Wrong answer. We are called to progress in our Christian lives toward righteousness, toward holiness. We are representatives of Almighty God, the Holy One. We are called to be holy. Why? Because he is holy. And we are representatives of him in this dark place. Verse 17, he says, you need to conduct yourselves. Verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, you need to love one another. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you need to lay aside. He gives a whole list of things that we're to lay aside. And elsewhere throughout the scripture, you and I are called to lay aside. That's an active action that you and I are called to do. And that old idea of saying, well, Lord, if you don't want this to be in my life, we'll just take it away from me. No, gang, we are called to lay it aside, to reject those things, to move on from those things. Lay aside all of those malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy, all this evil speaking. And then in in verse 2, he says, but as newborn babies desire. And moms, you know about those babies. When they get hungry, they get hungry. Particularly a newborn baby, there's no saying, hey, wait just a minute, we'll be home in a little while. No, it's now. Man, wouldn't that be great if all of our attitude toward the things of Christ and toward the things of his word were that way? I just want to have it. I just want to be in it. Verse 4 says, come to him. Come to him as to a living stone. It's what we're to be doing. He says in verse 11, I I beg you as sojourners and as pilgrims to abstain from. And then he gives, again, this idea of staying from fleshly lust. They war against your soul. And we'll look at that more as we get into it. In verse 11, it is that abstain from. But in verse 13, he says, but submit yourself. So some things we lay down, some things we pull away from. There's other things that we desire. There's other things that we submit ourselves to. He says in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says that we need to be living with honor. We need to be living with love. There needs to be a righteous and a true fear in our lives toward Almighty God, a righteous and a holy fear. Not the fear that says, whoa, you know, he's going he's gonna to beat me. He's going he's gonna to strike me. But it's that fear that speaks of the awesomeness If you've been with us for a while, you know that I've used that phrase, the awfulness of God. Full of awe. He is awful in that way. Full of awe, majesty. He is a mighty and great. And in the words of uh, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, is he safe? Oh, no, he's not safe. But he is good. 
You see, we need to understand that. We need to grow in our understanding of that. He says in verse 18 that we need to be submissive. And it speaks here of, of, of servants being submissive to their masters. But then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Wives, likewise, be submissive. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter here on The Open Word. We are glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word, but we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners, so please give us a call if you have a moment. Our phone number here is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Let us know, too, how we can be praying for you. Are you a part of a local church? Joining and actively getting involved in a local body of believers is a great way to grow in your faith. It's a place where you can learn about the power and love of the Savior and ask questions among other imperfect seeking people. You'll find support in times of need and be able to offer help to others in your own unique way. If you have yet to find a local church in your area, we'd encourage you to start looking today. And if you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. Join us next time for another edition of The Open Word.